When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Other half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin here. Kyle, week five is in the books. The baseball playoffs have begun. What the hell is going on, bro? How was your Sunday? Good, bro. Just had a day at work, watched some football. Just glad to be back in the chair, ready to get back at it. How about you? That was good, man. It was my niece's birthday party today. Her official birthday is tomorrow. Paisley Grace, if you ever see this, obviously you're probably not going to, but happy birthday. I love you very much, and I hope you had a good time today. Didn't really get to watch a lot of football. I was kind of paying attention to the kids and stuff like that, but I did get to peep some highlights and some fragments of the games here and there, so I'm going to do my best to keep up. But overall, from what I can see here and from the highlights that I did get recapped on, it was a very eventful Sunday. Oh yeah, and before we get into this top into these topics, definitely want to send out a quick shout out to uh, Kevin's niece uh, for her third birthday today. Just wanted to send that out real quick. I appreciate that, bro. But are uh, you ready to hit these topics? Hell yeah! All right. So uh, currently, right now, the Chiefs and Bills game is ongoing. So we'll kind of keep you guys updated as that game goes on. They're currently in a weather delay, so you know, depending on what time they get out of the locker rooms, it could be a while before we see these teams get back at it for the second half. But, you know, as it stands right now, uh, the Bills are up 24 to 13 at halftime. So the Bills have looked extremely strong. But like I said, we'll kind of keep you guys updated as we roll on through the episode. And for the first game that we'll talk about, it'll be the Chargers and the Browns. This game was phenomenal. It was an absolute offensive show with Justin Herbert, Baker Mayfield just going back Back at it, back and forth. The Chargers ended winning that game 47-42. to That'll be the first game that we talk about. The second game we'll go over will be the Green Bay Packers and the Bengals. That was also another extremely good game from Week 5. Uh, the Packers got the win <clears throat> in overtime, winning by the score of 25-22. to And then after that, we'll talk about the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys game, where the Cowboys just ran roughshod over the Giants today winning by the score of 44 to 20. And then after that, we'll talk about our honorable mentions, you know, like we always do. We'll just go over some of the highlight games that we didn't get to mention in our featured topics. So Kevin will list his, I'll list mine. And then that will take us to our next segment, which will be talking about the Seattle Seahawks and their near future in regards to Russell Wilson being out of the lineup for the next month and a half or so. So if you guys don't remember last week, Russell Wilson injured his finger on his throwing hand after he got, what's the best way to describe it on the follow through on the pass, his hand hit Aaron Donald's hand. I believe he tore a ligament or tore a tendon. He ruptured a middle. tendon in his middle finger. So he got surgery last Friday He'll be out for the next month and a half, and we'll just talk about how much trouble the Seahawks are in with Russell being out of the lineup for the next six weeks. 
And then to round out the episode, we will talk about the Indianapolis Colts going up against the Baltimore Ravens on the Monday night slate. So you got Colts who are sitting at one and three, and the Ravens are sitting at three and one going into this matchup. And that will round out the episode. And I imagine uh, by the time that we get to that point in the episode, um, that Bills and Chiefs game might be wrapping up, but you know, we'll just kind of have to play it by ear and see where it goes. But that's the, that is the agenda for today. So we'll talk about this Chargers and Browns game, which was just absolutely phenomenal from beginning to end. It was an offensive show to say the least, just because the Chargers ended up winning this game 47 to 42 and Justin Herbert absolutely lit it up today, throwing for almost 400 yards, throwing for four touchdowns, and Austin Eckler out of the backfield was just as sensational for the Los Angeles Chargers. But to flip flip it to Cleveland here, Cleveland was just as impressive, putting up 42 points, putting up over 500 yards of offense. They are the first team in NFL history to put up 40-plus points, 500 yards of total offense, have no turnovers, and lose and the game. Lose. It's just a Brown stat. Like, if it had to be one stat, it just had to be the Browns just because, unfortunately, the Browns took the L in this one when they scored 42 points. But the Chargers are just looking amazing right now. They've, they're currently sitting at 4-1 and one after this win against the Browns. So, Kevin, let me kick this over to you. With the Chargers winning this game 47-42 to 42 over the Cleveland Browns, just how impressive is this Chargers team after this offensive show that they displayed against the Browns in week five. I mean, two words, Justin Herbert. I mean, the man is, it's just a man on a mission. There's no sophomore slump for him. He's carved up the league the entire season. And if there's games like this, where you just show and assert yourself as the alpha, you just say, you I'm here to stay. And he did just that. He was two yards shy of having a 400 yard day. He had a passer rating of 122, four tuts. I mean, what they didn't even run the ball that effectively. I mean, they averaged 4.9 yards a carry, but they didn't even run the ball like a lot of times. They only had 23 total rushes. But Justin Herbert was able to put the team on his back, go 26 of 43, and he just looked incredible. I mean, Mike Williams had an absolute phenomenal game. He had eight catches for 165 yards. I apologize, a little burp. Um, he averaged 20.6 yards per reception with two touchdowns. I mean, I feel like Justin was able to throw people open. He was able to find holes in the coverages. And then for whatever reason, Cleveland just did not look good at all in that second half. I mean, the Chargers in the fourth quarter scored 26 points in the fourth by itself, just that quarter. So, I mean, Justin Herbert was able to take advantage and like I said, find those holes and just abuse that secondary of Cleveland because for whatever reason, they couldn't really get to Justin because they only sacked him twice. But man, oh man, did, they, did those L.A. Chargers look like an absolute Super Bowl contender. I mean, games like this, a shootout like this, is is arguably the game of the year or, you know, game of the freaking, obviously game of the week, let alone year. But, I, I mean, putting it on the Cleveland side, I mean, Baker had himself a great game too. Three all five with two touchdowns and – he was only sacked one time, but Cleveland wins games with their double tandem of a freaking two-headed monster in the backfield with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. The two of them alone went for 222 yards. 
That's absolutely insane. Nick had 161 and a touchdown. Kareem Hunt had 61 and two touchdowns. So the offense lived and died in the backfield. And that play action was absolutely working perfectly for Baker Mayfield. I mean, they averaged 6.6 yards per carry, and they ran the ball 35 times. So let's not shy away and say that Cleveland looked bad. Both defenses were atrocious. You let up 40-plus points. It just looked like Baker – excuse me. It looked like Justin was on a whole nother level when compared. He had almost 100 yards more, and he had two extra touchdowns, and it just looked like – it almost looked like Justin was more poised and ready and used to a situation like this. Meanwhile, Baker's been in the league longer. So, again, both teams, absolutely incredible. I'm not going to take away from anything that the Browns did. Granted, they lost by five points. But that Browns defense, that big circle right here, is going to be 26 points in the fourth quarter. And I'm going to assume as any defensive coordinator, that is not only unacceptable, that is just, like, not heard of. You don't give up basically a, a total game's points worth in one quarter. So I know for a fact that the Chargers defense and the Chargers coaching staff is not happy that that happened. Or excuse me, the Browns coaching staff is not happy that that happened. But overall, great showing, game of the year. Both quarterbacks looked good. Oh, my God, man, Justin Herbert. I can't say enough about the kid. I mean, Herbert's been lighting it up. And this is coming off of just some stellar performances that we've seen from him the last couple of weeks. But to me... This is probably his best performance of the year so far, maybe outside of that KC victory that they had a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, to kind of focus on the Chargers here, they kind of got off to a slow start. In the first half, it seemed like Cleveland had more of the momentum. It seemed like Baker had that offense really humming. And not only Baker was good out of the, out of the quarterback spot for them, but just like you mentioned, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, they were lighting it up against the Chargers defense in the first half, and it carried on into the second half as well. But really where this game kind of pivoted was definitely in the second half. I thought the Chargers were able to make some good second-half adjustments, and those adjustments really showed out in in the fourth quarter, like you mentioned. The the Chargers scoring 26 points in the fourth quarter is just sensational. It was kind of funny because the one touchdown that they got, which was their last one, Austin Eckler was trying to just run some of the clock out on like the two or three yard line and like five or six of Cleveland's defenders, they pretty much just pulled him into the end zone so that Cleveland could get the ball back to have one more shot to get into the end zone. But I mean, Austin Eckler had three touchdowns. He had, I believe two rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown. Mike Williams was phenomenal today. Had somewhat of a subpar game against the Raiders last week, but he comes back in a huge way with eight receptions, 165 yards, and two touchdowns. And those two touchdowns in particular, he was open by a mile, especially the second one. I don't know what type of defense Cleveland was running, especially on that second one, but when Mike Williams is open by literally 25 yards and there's nobody near him, that is a blown coverage to say the least. But he exploited it and he made the play. I also thought Keenan Allen had a pretty solid day. He had six receptions for 75 yards, but the Chargers just find ways to win. But in large part, it's just due to the fact that Justin Herbert and this offense, they are clicking on all cylinders right now. And this team is a force to be reckoned with, not only in their own division in the AFC West, because right now they're sitting at the top of that division. This is a team that could arguably be, saying arguably, could be the best team in the AFC at this current moment. You know, you could talk about maybe the Bills 
being up at the top as well. But we have to put some respect on the Chargers here. This team was legit. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. They are here to stay. But this team is on fire right now. Cleveland, this was a very good effort from them offensively. Putting up 42 points in a loss, I can't put it on the offense. The offense made it happen today. I got to focus on that defense, though. You gave up 47 points. Granted, it is to Justin Herbert in that Chargers offense, but bro, some of these breakdowns in coverage, they were awful, especially against Mike Williams. You cannot allow Mike Williams, who is pretty much the deep threat option for the Chargers, to get open at will in that secondary. And unfortunately for the Browns, they did let that happen. But even despite the defensive shortfalls that they had in this game, the offense was able to bounce back and make plays happen. And even though that Cleveland lost this game, I think there's some great takeaways from this game for Cleveland. Baker, despite the fact that he was injured coming into this game, I thought he had one of his better games of the year. The one-two combo punch in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, that is by far and away the best running back combo in the league. And when David Njoku and Rashard Higgins are putting in the plays that they were able to in this offense against the Chargers today, that is something to look forward to. So granted, I know it's a loss for the for the Browns. So kind of have to take this one on the chin a little bit, but the Browns are a good team. So take this loss in stride, learn from some of the defensive mistakes that they made, and I think they'll be just fine. But overall, just a great performance from the Chargers and a great performance from the Browns, specifically on the offenses for both teams. I mean, we always talk about, well, at least I always refer to, you know, I love me a good defensive game. A shootout is never necessarily a bad game to watch. Always entertaining. But when you go upwards of the 40s, almost 50 points, I mean, it's basically scoring almost every single possession. You cannot be upset of something as entertaining as that. And whoever owns Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, and Joku, Nick Chubb, bro, fantasy stars right now nobody's upset that that game happened the way that it did so no, a, lot, I mean, a lot of happy campers I, I, I mean kareem hunt he's their second back and he still had two rushing touchdowns today you know and he had five receptions out of the backfield so i mean offensively cleveland has weapons it's just i'm really kind of surprised at how weak that defense looked against the chargers though and that was kind of the thing that we were talking about coming into this game was whether or not that the Chargers were going to be able to overpower this Browns defense because this Browns defense has been sensational to start the year, especially Miles Garrett with the pressure that he's been able to get consistently throughout the first half, not the first half, the first month of the season so far. But holy hell, just the the offenses today, they just had it going. And it is kind of crazy. Like when I look look at Cleveland's offensive stats, you know, you see David Njoku, I mean, seven receptions for 150 yards and a tut. But you look at Odell Beckham, two catches for 20 yards. I'm telling just, you, we said it, we said it last year. Baker and Odell don't mesh. I'm telling you, we talked about this. If for whatever reason, he don't look his way. He's double. I don't know what it is. When you trade for a megastar, which is what he was at the time of acquiring him, you got to use him more, bro. You don't have Jarvis on the field anymore. You literally targeted your tight end more than your top paid offensive player outside of Nick Chubb. 
more times than you targeted Odell. But, that is but, unheard of. But, but I will say this. You know, Odell was going up against Derwin James today. So that is not necessarily... Derwin James I, is a safety. But still, like, you have to account... Like, he's still, like, will play up every now and then. So, I mean, that's not I mean, yeah, the, the easiest assignment. I would say he came more along the lines of Asante Samuel Jr. But, I mean, overall, you don't avoid the coverage. You, you, you make plays for him. You get him in a groove. You run the slants. You run the outs. You run... The freaking ziggurats, you know, you find a way to test the coverage. You don't just avoid him. Well, like and I w- Asante Samuel Jr. and Derwin James, unless they specifically blanketed him the entire game, in which neither of us are going to know that because we didn't watch the game to its fullest extent, I, I still do not give him a pass. I uh, like I said, unless he genuinely was 100% not open the whole game, I'm not giving him a pass because this has been going on since he got to Cleveland. But But I do have to say, though, that despite the fact that Odell didn't have the best day in as far as production goes, you know, that was just what the defense was given them. And it left yeah. David Njoku in a situation where, look, if he's the main guy that you're going to throw to, so be it. You know, Rashard Higgins, I mean, he had a couple catches today. You had Donovan Peoples-Jones, he got into the action. So, I mean, just sometimes that's just what the defense gives you. You have to take the exploits in the defense that you could see. And obviously, I mean, David Njoku was the one that really kind of lit it up as far as production goes for Cleveland. But, I mean, it's like I said just a couple of minutes ago. This is not a performance that I think Cleveland offensively should have any issues with whatsoever. They scored 42 points. Yeah, they didn't get a touchdown at the end of the game. They, I mean, they had some time to work with, but they just couldn't make it happen. But defensively, yeah, this is going to be a tire fire when it comes to the film session tomorrow. So that is definitely kind of a key concern with Cleveland's defense. But I think Cleveland's defense can bounce back from that. You know, this this might just be kind of like one of those ones where you just kind of throw it to the side. It's like, you know, this is a one-off. We'll work through those issues. But, I mean, bro, the Chargers are no joke. They got the weapons. They got the quarterback. They got the running back out of the backfield. Offensively, this offense can run it up against anybody. So... You know, I'm sitting I mean, here just continuing. To, I'm just continuing to look at that damn stat line, and I'm just, I'm just stuck on Herbert's numbers, and obviously Mike Williams and what Austin Eckler is able to bring to the table on both the receiving end and the rushing side. But we could we could talk about this game all day. Lord knows it wasn't the only good game of the day because shit, bro. There was a few games that went into overtime. There was obviously a few blowout games. There was a lot of close games today, but I mean this game right here, both of us did not expect it to be as tight as it went today. And that is the game of the Green Bay Packers visiting the Cincinnati Bengals, both teams being three and one prior to today's game kicking off. Green Bay edges it by, by with a game, a game winning field goal. And it ends at 25 to 22. Joe Burrow kind of got brought back down to earth. He continues to have the little bit of the turnover issue. He did have two interceptions. He was sacked three times. So Green Bay's defense was letting him have it, but Aaron Rodgers was also sacked twice. He also threw an interception. But the biggest thing on both sides of the stat sheet, one person, Devontae Adams. He is a literal walking mismatch. You can bring Champ Bailey out of retirement in his prime, and he's going to give Champ headaches. He can run the route tree. He can create separation. He can catch pretty much anything within his vicinity. He's a, he's just an, an all-around matchup nightmare. I mean, he by himself had 16 total targets, which out-targets almost the entire team, which is just insane. It just goes to show 
That's how much faith Aaron's got in him, and it paid off. 11 receptions, 206 yards, and a touchdown. Kyle, I got to ask you, man, did you expect this game? Like, I mean, like when, when, when you saw the final score, were you in shock that, it did, that, that this was what happened? I was kind of because coming into this game, I thought that Green Bay was going to win this game fairly comfortably. I thought they were going to win by two possessions, somewhere in between maybe 10 to 14 points, simply just because Cincinnati is relatively a young team, but they're going up against a well-rounded team in the Green Bay Packers with arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the league with Aaron Rodgers, and they're on a hot streak nonetheless. So I thought that was just going to kind of continue going into this game where the Packers were going to put up 30-plus. I thought Cincy had a chance to maybe get in the mid-20s, but I have to say this, though. Since he earned my respect today, just because I thought Joe Burrow, outside of the, the interceptions that he had, I thought he was going toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers the entire day. And that connection that he has with Jamar Chase, the potential of explosive plays between those two, it's just unbelievable. Joe Burrow hit Jamar Chase on a 70-yard bomb right before halftime where Joe Burrow is just running out of the pocket, just trying to make a play happen, and he just chucks it down the field, and Jamar's just sitting down there in the middle of the field and ends up beating the corner that was matched up on him and ends up scoring a touchdown. So that LSU connection that they have between the both of them, it is blossoming right in front of our eyes, and I imagine as the years go on, the chemistry between those two, it might be very similar to what we see between Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, simply just because that those guys are on the same page and they are making explosive plays happen. Now, when it comes to the game itself, you know, the Packers, they were able to withstand a very tough Cincy team today. And I thought Aaron Rodgers had a pretty solid day. You know, he put up almost 350 yards passing and two touchdowns, but you know, to me, the, the connection between him and Devontae Adams is just money in the bank. It doesn't matter what defensive coverage that you have against Devontae. He's able to find the weaknesses in those defense and exploit it to the biggest potential possible. And 11 receptions for 206 yards, Kevin. And a touchdown as well. Like, these are Madden-type numbers. Like, this is ridiculous. And... I just don't know how you're going to be able to stop that unless you put Devontae Adams in gunner coverage. It's the only way I could see them really stopping Devontae at this point. The fact that he put up 206 yards on Cincy's defense, and Cincy's defense is actually not that bad when you really kind of compare it to the rest of the league. Bro, he was unstoppable today. But, you know, I've talked about Joe Burrow. I've talked about Jamar Chase. I've talked about Aaron Rodgers, and I've talked about Devontae Adams. But I have to talk about something that, Kev, we don't necessarily talk about a lot. And that is special teams. The special teams for both teams in this game were utterly atrocious. Despite the Packers winning, Mason Crosby missed three field goals in a row that could have potentially won them this game. And granted, he did get the game-winning field goal. But when you miss three straight kicks with the chance to put your team ahead or to give your team the win, you got to knock down those kicks. And it's just they weren't able to get the, either the snap or the hold right, and he ended up missing three straight. And not only that, since he's field goal kicker, I believe the guy's name is Jason Sly. i got to make sure I have his name right. Since he's McPherson, that's oh, the guy Evan, from... Uh, okay. 
He's so, from uh, UF. So he had a bad day too. He had a chance to take this one for Cincy in overtime, but he wasn't able to knock it through. I believe on the one field goal that he had, I think it actually hit the flag on the upright. So he was that close to winning it. And he actually thought that they had won the game. But special teams is so critical in the game of football. And I thought both special teams units today, they really came up flat. It's just Mason Crosby was able to get the kick that won them the game at the end. I mean, honestly, that game could have been decided within like the first two minutes of overtime after Joe Burrow threw a horrendous interception on their own side of the field with like literally with like the first or second play in overtime. So all in all, a great game between a legend at the quarterback spot in Aaron Rodgers and up and coming star and Joe Burrow. But really kind of the main takeaway today was just the special teams on this in this game were just horrendous across the board. But Green Bay did enough to get the win on the road and you know they're sitting at four and one and since he takes a seat back at three and two. But Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here. I mean, it's literally like Kyle said, it's unless you put like basically what I would call is Calvin Johnson coverage where you put two corners on one fucking receiver. And even at that, I don't even know if that's going to be able to stop him at the way that he's going because Devontae Adams is literally the best receiver in football and it is not close. I know DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs are all up like phenomenal, phenomenal top three receivers. And like you can make arguments for each of them being the best, but the things that Devontae does week in and week out, I mean, the connection with Aaron Rodgers, it's just the Green Bay Packers are on another level right now in terms of just connecting, in terms of, like, fluidity as a unit. Uh, outside of Mason Crosby's atrocious day and special teams, all units were able to make plays happen. Again, two interceptions from Joe Burrow showed that the Packers could create the turnovers. Um, they were able to get to the quarterback, get some hits on Joe, rough him up a bit, make life a little bit more difficult. But still... At the end of the day, as Kyle said, this game came within an ass hairs of a victory for the Bengals. They were not able to capitalize on the missed opportunities from uh, Mason Crosby. But it does show that Cincinnati can compete with some of the top talent in the NFL. And I mean, again, Kyle and I both predicted the Green Bay Packers to win this game pretty convincingly, not handedly, but Overall, it shows that Joe Burrow can lead a team. It shows that Cincinnati's defense can make life hell, even for a, a, a former MVP and a Super Bowl champion like Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to say hell in the sense of where he made a lot of mistakes, but they did make life a little bit harder for Aaron than most teams have in the past. So I will give them credit. Maybe this game is a complete blowout if um, – Mason makes those field goals. Maybe it's not. Who knows? I mean, if Joe Burrow doesn't throw those two interceptions, does Cincinnati win this game? If we play the what-if game, we're never going to know. But overall, great performance from both teams. Um, I look forward to see what Cincinnati continues to do in the AFC throughout the season, and the Packers continue to assert their dominance in the NFC, which, I mean, it's actually a perfect transition into the next topic because this team is dominating the entire conference the way that they are playing football right now. And unfortunately, Kyle did not believe me when I said this was going to happen in the preseason polls and, and obviously, you know, our ratings. The Dallas Cowboys scored 44 points today. That is, I believe, their second or third time. No, second time scoring 40 points already this season. The first time, obviously, coming against Philly. So we're sitting here looking at it like, well, well both teams were NFC East teams in terms of their opponents. 
to score 40 points is still not an easy task, and to do it the way that they did was incredible. The Dallas Cowboys obviously beat the New York Giants in Dallas 44-20. to Dak Prescott goes for 302, three touchdowns. Ezekiel Elliott goes for 110 yards and a touchdown. And, I mean, the Cowboys just looked absolutely unstoppable for the majority of this game. Unfortunately, Daniel Jones gets knocked out of this game with a concussion. Um, Saquon Barkley leaves this game with an ankle sprain. Update on that. as of, But just about an hour ago, they did rule it a low ankle sprain, just a lot of swelling. So Saquon has been ruled week to week. They expect him to miss just a minimum of one game, which would be next week's game, and they expect him to be back the following. But, of course, they're not going to rush their star back. Uh, and like I said, Daniel Jones gets knocked out of this game. So, I mean, Kyle, did the injuries mounting up really kind of like skew New York's opportunity to come back? Or is Dallas just really that good? No, Dallas is just that good. Offensively, they are just firing on all cylinders. And that was despite the fact that I thought Dallas got off to a really slow start. Dak got picked off on his first drive of the game. And I believe they only scored three points in the first quarter. So it didn't really get going for Dallas's offense until really the second quarter. And then they just kind of blew it open in the second half. But Kevin, I got to talk about one factor that is probably the unsung hero for the Dallas Cowboys and their offense specifically. And that is their offensive line. Their offensive line has been sensational this year. I was trying to come up with a different adjective to kind of properly describe how good they've been. They've been phenomenal. The amount of running lanes that they are giving Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard are just amazing. And not only that, the holes that these guys are getting to run through, they are literally a man to a man and a half wide. I mean, these are easy running lanes where they don't even have to make a cut. They could just run through the gap, whether it's the A, B, or C gap, and just exploit it and possibly pull off eight, nine yards of carry if if the gaps are there. So just a great rushing performance from the Cowboys once again. Believe as a team, they ran over 200 yards rushing again. Just that combo between Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. No team has really been able to stop it outside of Tampa in the first week of the season. And it just seems to be growing more in confidence every single week. I mean, it worked against the Eagles two weeks ago. It worked against the Panthers last week. And it's just more of the same in this Giants matchup. And I thought Dak, despite the slow start, ended up having a relatively solid day. 22 of 32, throwing for over 300 yards, and had three touchdowns. And it was also kind of nice to see CeeDee Lamb kind of pop up back into the production stats again. Um, he kind of fallen off the last couple of weeks, but he came in nice today with four receptions for 84 yards and a touchdown. Also, Dalton Schultz is apparently one of Dak's favorite targets. He had a nice solid day as well with six receptions and 79 yards. When I look at this offense, this offense is just loaded with weapons across the board. And Dak has looked amazing this year, coming off of a terrible knee injury against ankle, this Giants team. Ankle. Excuse me, thank you. Um, this ankle injury that he had against the Giants last year. And he has been playing phenomenal football. He's getting time to sit in the pocket. He's being efficient in most of the games that he's played the entire year. And it's resulting in wins for Dallas. So offensively, I mean, this team is humming on all cylinders. They've scored 40. They scored 44 in this game. They scored, I believe, 41 against the Eagles. And they scored 36 
against Carolina last week. So, I mean, the team is averaging almost 40 points a game in the last three games that they've played in. I don't know how any defense is going to be able to stop that when you have weapons across the board in Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Dalton Schultz as well. And then you got Dak playing the way that he's playing at. Good luck trying to stop that. And defensively, it's Trayvon Diggs. He's unbelievable. This dude is just a ball-hawking safety. I mean, you got to start putting the name out there that just this is Diggs Island. And nobody's going to be able to touch him because he's got six interceptions in the season already. They've only played five games. He's had an interception in the last five games in a row. This dude is just playing phenomenal football. And it really kind of begs the question. It's like, if this guy's a lockdown corner, why are you throwing at this guy? It's not even really worth the option. You got to find somebody in that secondary, possibly like a second or third corner that you can go at against Dallas's defense. But overall, I think Dallas had a phenomenal game. I thought the Giants, yeah, they were definitely hindered by injuries today. It didn't help that Saquon went out with that ankle injury. It didn't help that um, Daniel Jones went out with that concussion. And Kenny Kenny Galladay also got hurt as well. So I think he got a knee injury in that game against Dallas. So, I mean, the Giants are a tire fire this year. They're not really going anywhere significant for the rest of the year, in my opinion. They're really kind of a team that's just mediocre at best and I'm kind of being nice towards them but Dallas is arguably one of the top two top three teams in the NFC at this point and with these performances that they've been showing the last couple weeks it proves that and I can't believe that I'm actually saying that about Dallas I tend to be a little bit more pessimistic just because Dallas finds a way to screw things up but this team so far through five weeks they've been phenomenal and I think at this point, they're probably a f- top five team in the NFL. Hey, I've been saying it, bro. I, I literally said it with the lineup that they have. And obviously the defense still isn't even healthy right now. They're doing things that they could have done last season, realistically. And it's showing. I mean, they, they're the offensive firepower, the defense doing what they need to do. Kellen Moore's play calling has been absolutely sensational. The offensive line has been basically moving fucking heaven and earth to damn make sure that the, the running backs back there in uh, Dallas have open lanes. And, I mean, let's just look here. Obviously, as I already said, Ezekiel Elliott had over 100 yards. But Tony Pollard had 75 yards. The two of them averaged over five yards per total carry. They had 200 yards on the ground today, averaging 5.2 per carry. Insane. In the air, as I already stated, with Dak Prescott going 22 of 32 for 302, three touchdowns and a pick. He was sacked twice, but he still had a freaking passer rating of 116. Basically 117 because it was 116.9, which is just great. And he was able to distribute the ball very evenly. CeeDee Lamb had four. Schultz had six. Cooper had three. Noah Brown had three. So everybody got a little bit of piece of the action. The running backs were playing great, and the defense did what they needed to do. Granted, New York, again, like we said, was ridden with a lot of injuries today and losing multiple stars. Kadarius Toney, though, their first-round pick showed that he could carry some of that load. And he had 189 yards today with 10 receptions. Was targeted 13 total times. Unfortunately, gets ejected for throwing a punch later in the fourth quarter when it was obviously irrelevant. But the point of the matter is, he just showed with a backup quarterback that he could go out there and he could create space, separation, and do what he needs to do to assist this team in winning. And when they'd come back fully loaded, maybe the offensive mind that is Jason Garrett he will figure out, hey, we drafted this guy in the first round for a reason. 
The guy's basically a mismatch nightmare because he's very quick in the slot, can play in the wide out, and also run special teams, and can be utilized in some RPOs and some trick plays. Maybe we should kind of give him a little bit more some snaps, but we shall see what happens as the weeks progress. What I'm trying to say here is Dallas did what they needed to do against another bad team. But again, to put up these numbers consistently in three weeks does show that this offense can basically seem unguardable to the, to, to the naked eye. I mean, really, you pick a poison to try to go and guard. Do you want to stack the box and give these receivers one-on-one coverage? Do you want to double these receivers on the outside, run a zone, and let Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard pretty much poke through and let this offensive line dominate the opposite side and the line of scrimmage the entire game? I don't know. I think Dallas not necessarily would be a complete package team, but when their defense gets back in terms of personnel coming back from injury, I think Dallas is going to be up there in the discussion later in this season to be competing for an NFC championship. And I know we have Tampa and we have Arizona and we have the Rams, but this team's showing, hey, don't forget about us. We're not playing the greatest of talent right now. Their one loss did unfortunately come to the Bucks. But they did play the Chargers, and they did beat them. They did play the Panthers, who were surging at the time, and they did beat them. They beat two bad NFC teams, two bad NFC East teams, but both of them they dominated. They didn't just barely squeak by. They dominated by they dominated them by three-plus possessions. Huge. So like I said, they're doing what they need to do. They're beating bad teams, which is what good teams are supposed to do, and Dallas is surging right now. So, well, I mean, I, I mean – the only way that I think Dallas is going to be beaten at this point is that a defense is going to be, they're going to have to win the battle at the line of scrimmage because the way that I currently see it is Dallas's offensive line is just winning that battle by a mile. I mean, the amount of push that they're getting against the defensive linemen and the amount of holes that they're opening up for their running backs, it's, it's going to lead to an easy easy result just because I mean offensively this team is just running on all cylinders and until a defense actually matches what that offensive line is capable of and actually can push back that Dallas offensive line I don't see anything changing anytime soon because Dak looks way too comfortable back there and he's just carving up these defenses and the running lanes for Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard are just wide open. So, I mean, they've earned, you know, one of the spots, as far as I'm concerned, as one of the best teams in the NFC at this point. You know, granted, you know, it's like you said, you got a lot of teams that you're dealing with. You got the Cardinals, you got the Bucks, you got the Packers. All of those teams are at the top of the NFC, but I, Dallas is in that mix. It's really kind of up to you what where you want to put them, but they're definitely top four, in my opinion. And, they could be as high as top three in the NFC, but I mean, they, they keep playing like this. You know, this is definitely a team to definitely be on the lookout for. I'm not going to go all the way to what you said about possibly playing for an NFC championship game simply just because they're one of those four teams. Like we both mentioned, it's just that I think that those three teams may have a slight edge over them just because the Cardinals are still undefeated. Tampa is currently a 4-1 in their last year's Super Bowl champs. And the Packers got all the way to the NFC Championship game last year. So, No, I said, I said one of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's early, yeah. Oh, oh but yeah. But, but it's like, for where we are in October right now, you couldn't be in a better position. And 
Dallas, you know, I'm kind of have to wait and see with them because, you know, Dallas just finds a way to kind of screw things up when they got a good thing going. But as I currently see it, if they just keep playing like this, where they're getting consistent production from Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott and Dax carving up defenses, sky's the limit with this team. It's just they have to be consistent with that. And, you know, it's one thing to kind of project that out based on what we've seen so far. But, you know, as we get into the later stages of October going into November and December, that's when we're really kind of going to see this team, whether or not that they are really kind of a championship caliber team. But they're off to a great start. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, Dallas is doing what they need to do. But another team that did what they needed to do, or should I say a few teams that did what they needed to do, were going to be some of our honorable mentions. Again, guys, what we do here is we kind of give some specific shine of certain teams that we feel deserve to have some content. But again, if we did all of these games, we'd be here for three, four hours breaking everything down. We try to give every team about 10 to 15 minutes of a breakdown, or should I say every game. And, you know, we just don't have the time, the bandwidth. Everybody's got stuff to do. But my two honorable mentions today are going to be the New Orleans Saints and the Arizona Cardinals. So first, I'm going to dive right into the Saints versus the Redskins. The Washington football team, sorry guys, force of habit. Um, the Saints win this game 33-22. to Obviously, the Saints are coming off of a loss uh, last week to the New York Giants. So there was some question about how they were going to continue this season, how Jameis was going to do, are they going to just go back to leaning on Alvin Kamara? And it seems they did all of the above. Jameis Winston went for four touchdowns, had 279 yards, and Alvin Kamara went out there and he had 70, uh, 71 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I mean, Marquez Callaway came out of his shell today. I mean, I know statistically he has been targeted so many times this season. They just have not been able to connect. Today was that day. I mean, he only had four catches, but those four catches totaled for 85 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Deontay Harris, another deep threat for the New Orleans Saints. He had a one big catch for 72 yards, and that ended in a touchdown. Alvin Kamara also did his thing in the air, having five catches for 51 yards, also having a touchdown. But once again, Jameis is showing that he has that arm and that capability to extend the field with those deep balls. However, the critique here for me is going to be his completion percentage. That was at 50% today. That is absolutely atrocious. He was 15 of 30. He had a QBR of just 50. Not good enough. They're playing a very, very, very bad Washington football team. For whatever reason, Kyle and I were talking about this actually uh, pretty much like all last week. If not, we had a conversation about it separately about how Washington went from one of the best up-and-coming defenses with Chase Young and those boys to where they are right now, allowing so many points, if not some of the highest points per game in the NFL, the defensive side of the ball. It's just not looking good. On that offensive side, again, just to kind of slide over into that, uh, Taylor Heineke had an atrocious day. He was under four. He was under 50% from the field. He did not have a touchdown. He had two interceptions, was sacked a couple of times, had a total QBR of 24 and a passer rating of 47. Not good enough to get it done. It was an 11 point game. So it's just not all of his fault. Once again, that defense has not been playing up to par, but when you go offensively in that kind of stagnant sense where you're not really getting the ball downfield and you're also not running the ball effectively because Antonio Gibson had 20 carries for 60 yards. That is a mere, a mere three yards per carry. He did get into the end zone twice, which is good for fantasy, but in terms of winning, just not consistent enough. I mean, Taylor Heineke was their next leading rusher with 40 yards on the ground by himself. So overall, 
Washington's got a whole lot to work on. New Orleans can build on this game and kind of move forward in their season with Jameis Winston at the quarterback position. And uh, the next game, I'm going right into it, guys. I apologize if I'm going quick. Kyle's also got his games, and then we got to break down the Russell Wilson news. And we also want to go into the uh, prediction for this game on Monday. So in this game, the San Francisco 49ers headed into Arizona to face a division rival. Uh, and they did win in terms of Arizona remains undefeated at 5-0 and by the score of 17-10. to The game was a lot closer than I definitely had expected it to be just because Arizona has been so red hot this year. Jimmy Garoppolo did not play, and it looked a little bit more like a defensive matchup. And the only reason I really knew that, because whenever I did get a chance to check my fantasy score, I saw that DeAndre Hopkins was pretty much locked down for the most part until that fourth quarter where he scored that touchdown. But overall, Kyler Murray had 239. The MVP candidate had one total touchdown in terms of passing in the air. Um, He was not able to get into the end zone on the ground. He did have seven rushes, but only for one yard, so... You can tell that San Francisco was kind of able to contain Kyler's uh, footwork out of the pocket. Uh, Kyler Murray was also sacked twice. Uh, Trey Lance, something concerning for me. I just got a circle here. Kyle knows my mindset on mobile quarterbacks outside of Lamar Jackson because he's been able to do this for about three years now. Uh, Trey Lance had 16 carries for 89 yards. He also threw the ball just shy of 30 times for 192 yards, and he was not able to get a touchdown in the end zone in terms of uh, in the air or on the ground, but he did also throw an interception. But offensively, it did look a little confusing. Jimmy Garoppolo, you can tell, is a little bit more of that leader. He has been on this team, obviously, a lot longer. Trey Lance is also a rookie. But for whatever reason, Kyle Shanahan is really using him on the ground for what, I, to me, looked to be a little bit too much. He led this team in rushing attempts and rushing yards. You do not want your backup quarterback putting himself in these scenarios because your starting quarterback is already out with that calf injury. You don't know long. You do not know how long he's going to be out. So, a little bit of a questionable play, questionable play calling on the San Francisco side. But overall, Arizona continues their dominance and they assert themselves to be the undefeated team left, or should I say, the only undefeated team left in the NFL. And um, Seems like they're going to stay on top of the power rankings, at least from what I'm understanding. Am I wrong, Kyle? Nope. Uh, nope. You know what time it is, brother. You know what time it is. So I only got one honorable mention today. If you guys haven't figured it out, you got to look at the jersey. And I'll show right and right today. So there's only one guy to talk about, and that is one Sir Tom Brady, who absolutely lit it up once again. Brady was. You know, out there, to say the least. He was out there. Threw for, oh, I don't know. Threw for 411 yards today. Threw for five touchdowns. Also provided me 42 fantasy points. Appreciate that, Brady. And the Bucks just rolled over the Dolphins today. Now, granted, you know, the Dolphins, they suck. They're sitting at one and four. Two was out for the foreseeable future. And it doesn't seem like to me that they're really going anywhere anytime soon. You know, unfortunately, Brian Flores is in a situation where, you know, this team was probably looking to take a, a leap forward this year, but it just not has worked out. And, um, you know, we'll c- kind of see how that goes for the Dolphins moving forward. But that's not the topic of discussion here. I've got to talk about the Bucks here. You know, the Bucks had a tough road game against New England last week. You know, that was Tom Brady's return to Foxborough for the first time since going to the Bucks. And he didn't have the best game against New England. And New England's defense played pretty well against him. But he bounced back in a way 
that only goats do. And he dominated and carved up this Dolphins defense like it was nothing. And 511 yards, like I mentioned, five touchdowns. And just the Bucks just destroyed the Dolphins. This is a huge win for the Bucks. It gets them back on track. Putting up 45 points in the process. I was like, holy hell. And just not only was Brady just dicing up this defense in Miami, but he was just spreading the ball around across the board. His ball distribution was great today. Antonio Brown looks like he's kind of re-emerged as that top-of-the-line wide receiver that he was when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was phenomenal today. Mike Evans got into the mix with, I believe he had two touchdowns as well in the second half. But just, it's Brady here, man. That's that's really kind of the standout to me. I only had one honorable mention for this segment, but um, Brady was just that good today. And um, Kevin, I got to say, we're week five into the season. Tom Brady's got 15 touchdowns. Technically leads the way in touchdowns thrown this season. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is basically kind of running toe-to-toe with him at this point. But at 44 years old, Kevin, 15 touchdowns to two interceptions. He hasn't had an interception since week one. He's gone four straight games. I don't think Father Time is winning in this one. And as long as Brady stays upright, which his offensive line has done very well so far, I think Brady could throw for 40, 45 touchdowns. I mean, he did 40 last year. He could do it again. I mean, if I project it out for the rest of the year, he's on pace to throw damn near 50, upper 40s at least. Five touchdowns a day, 400 yards passing, 42 fantasy points. I like where this is going. I can't deny it. I Listen, uh, the only game I really did get to see consistently, at least on and off at my niece's house, was the Dolphins-Bucks game. And for whatever reason, either every time I looked up or every time the game magically appeared on the TV, Brady was scoring a touchdown. He was absolutely carving up Miami's defense. And we all know, like Kyle already stated, Miami's not a good football team this year. I tried to tell my younger brother, Max, okay. I love you to death. I love you to death. But I tried to warn you, it wasn't going to happen this year. Tua's hurt, yes, but it's not going to change the fact that your defense is completely inept. So it is what it is. But Tom Brady, like Kyle said, he is just – time just does not seem applicable to Thomas Brady because it just it, – I don't understand how it's happening. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like he's getting easy throws or people are just absolutely wide open. He is showing why he is the GOAT. He is on another progression to compete for another Super Bowl. The defense actually looked really good today. Shaq Barrett had a strip sack today. Um, and Tampa just continues to get back in terms of health. I know that you guys got – well, not you guys, but the the Bucks got one of their, their members of the secondary back. I think it was Dean, you said? Yeah, yeah, Jamel Dean. Yeah, he, he Jamel back. Dean came back. Richard Sherman's just going to continue to get acclimated on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you know, it's only going to get better for them. Uh, supposedly they were in the mix for a Stephon Gilmore trade, but – it just looked like Carolina made a better offer, so it is what it is. But overall, Tampa's doing what they need to do. Tom looks pretty much like he's 26 all over again. And um, the Bucks just continue to roll, man. That's, that's pretty much it. I can't take anything away from it. I respect the hype. I'm pretty sure it's the same damn cigar you have had since last year. So however that must taste must be gross. It's just – it's. I've had this one in a bag. I just kind of pull it out like whenever there's a – Whenever the situation's right. So this is one, this is just kind of a prop that I use at this point. But I, I, a prop. 
basically that's all I use it for. So, but um, you know, when they win the Super Bowl, I'm just saying hypothetically, they win the Super Bowl this year. There's no doubt in my mind I will be smoking a real cigar. Hey, we projected them to win the Super Bowl. We both yeah. predicted it. So, oh, oh, don't worry. I'll get a coupon for that one. Trust me. We gonna get right. We gonna get right for that one, bro. We gonna get right. Well, whoever who isn't right right now is the Seattle Seahawks and and damn, I don't even remember the Pete Carroll. I for whatever reason I just could not remember their coach's name. My goodness, Pete Carroll's head has been spinning since Thursday night. He loses his All Pro, Pro Bowl quarterback Russell Wilson to a finger injury that leads him to be out for just shy of the next two months. Geno Smith is going to be taking the helm over in Seattle as QB1 for the next foreseeable future or for the for the foreseeable future. Guys, I've had diarrhea mouth all night tonight. I'm so sorry. Um, overall, it doesn't look good for Seattle. It didn't look good for them even when Russell was there. But, I mean, Kyle, I, I got to get your thoughts, man. Does this immediately put Seattle in a bad place in terms of their – remaining outcome for the season yeah it's gonna be definitely tough hill sledding for this team moving forward just because russell wilson is really the guy that's kept this team afloat as far as i'm concerned the last couple years he's been playing at stretches like an mvp but at a certain point it's just defenses are able to scheme against the seattle offense and they're able to slow down russell and the explosiveness that he could bring to the table just because let's be honest. It's really Russell Wilson or that's it. There's nobody else because their run game is, has been non-existent ever since Marshawn Lynch left the team. Chris Carson is their number one guy. And he just finds a way to just never see the field on a consistent basis. And that leaves a situation where, you know, 70 to 75% of the offense has to go through Russ, and Russ is going to have to go out there and throw for 300, 350 yards passing to keep this team viable. And that defense is just weak, Kevin. There's no other way I could say it. This team has really been struggling defensively for a couple of years now. They've never been, they've never been the same since losing Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, like that, just that three-headed monster and what they have with the Legion of Boom. It's never been it's never been the same since those guys left. And to be quite honest with you, I have no faith that Geno Smith is going to be able to keep this team afloat until Russell gets back. I mean, they're sitting at two and three right now, which is at the bottom end of the NFC West. And they're going to have to find some sort of way to remain competitive the next couple of weeks, because if they don't, if they can't find win ways to win games with Geno at the helm, when Russell gets back, the season could already be over for them. And I know that's a little bit early. We're only at week five in the season, but it's going to be week 11, possibly even later until Russell gets back. And unless they find a way to kind of remain at a 500 record until that time, I just think it's going to be too big of a mountain to climb. And that's despite how good Russell Wilson is. It's just that I don't have a lot of faith that Gino's going to be able to carry this team for the next five to six possibly even seven to eight weeks. You know, hopefully Russell can get back into the lineup a little bit sooner than what's expected. But I am very concerned with Seattle at this point. And I will say this. I I think if they really start getting on a losing streak here, I think this could potentially be Pete Carroll's last season as the head coach for the Seattle Seahawks. Because 
they've been kind of hanging on by a thread these last couple seasons. They've kind of disappointed when they've reached the playoffs, even despite the fact that they have a high caliber quarterback in Russell Wilson. But if this team can't get it together, this could potentially be Pete Carroll's last season as the coach for Seattle. And to be quite honest with you, this offseason could get very interesting because Russell could be like, why do I want to stay here? This team is not going in the right direction. And it hasn't been for a couple of years at this point. So it's all dependent on what they could do the next five or six weeks. This is absolutely crucial territory for Seattle. And if they find a way to be at a 500 record by the time that Russell gets back, I think that'll be enough to get by. But if they really start slipping, yeah, it, it could get very bad for Seattle moving forward. So, Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here. I mean, it's like you said, bro. We've we've been watching this happen for the last few years where Seattle gets into the playoffs but disappoints or they fail to make the playoffs or they squeak in. And it's just been kind of an up-and-down trending kind of couple years for the Seahawks. And when you have a generational quarterback like Russell Wilson, when you had – a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime fucking defense like the Legion of Boom. You capitalized. You got yourself a Super Bowl. You went to two of them. You fell short in an NFC Championship game. But overall, the Seahawks did what they needed to do. Russell has done everything he can for a franchise. But it's like we said before the season started, and I know I made that bet, and I still owe you that case. Russell Wilson should have left this offseason. This team is not going to get any better. They have plateaued. The defense... Stagnant. You traded two first-round picks for a blitz-packaging, basically, linebacker in Jamal Adams. You're wasting the talents of DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett just signed an extension, so he's stuck there. You have no offensive line. Your top two running backs in Chris Carson and Rashad Penny, or whatever the hell his last name is. I, for what, I just can't remember his damn name. The, the two of them combined to miss a total of basically an entire season every year. Your quarterback, your quarterback, your uh, your your head coach is basically the oldest coach in the NFL. This is the same shit every year. Russell's got to carry you. Russell's got to force the ball. Russell then has to make up for the turnovers that he had. Well, your best defensive player, like I said, you traded two first round picks, and he was getting blown in coverage last week um, over the top. Who the hell did they just play last week? They were playing the Rams last week. 50-year-old Deshaun Jackson just blew by you. Bro, are you kidding me? You got turned around like a ballerina. You look like a joke. That's what you trade two first-round picks for? Oh, because he sacks the quarterback once every couple of weeks. That makes him the best safety in football? Come on, man. He hits hard, but he has been playing very subpar since he got to Seattle outside of a couple exceptional plays in which, like I said, he was either rushing the quarterback or he kind of made a crazy hit on a ball carrier. Overall, Seattle doesn't look good. Russell Wilson is out for the foreseeable future, at least a minimum of six weeks. Geno Smith did, however, come into this game, and he lit that Rams defense up for a good portion of yards. I mean, the first drive, he went five for five and threw a touchdown to DK Metcalf and pretty much threw him open, which was great. However, he did lose the game for them with that interception late in the fourth quarter, so I'm not going to sit here and say he made no mistakes, but... Give Geno some time. It looked like him and the offense did mesh very well together. He's going to get first-team reps. We will see what happens. I'm not saying Seattle's going to win. I'm not saying Seattle's going to have a winning record while he's in. But I can't say that he's a scrub. If he did that to Jalen Ramsey and those boys for pretty much, what, the entire second half almost, if not like a quarter and a half. Mm-hmm. So overall, Geno Smith didn't look terrible. I would say they'd be in bigger trouble if he came in that game and immediately shit the bed. 
But that does give defenses some time to scheme against him, so we will see what happens. But, yeah, no, I agree with you, Kyle. It, this very well could be Pete Carroll's last year in Seattle. If I'm being honest with you, if I'm Russell Wilson and I see that this season pretty much is a wash, I'm not coming back because I'm not risking another injury nor what I can bring to the table to another team because if Pete's gone, I think Russell's gone. And at that point, you're in full rebuild mode, man. That, well, that, that, that core got a championship together, and by core I mean Pete Carroll, Bobby Wagner, and, and Russell Wilson because that's all that's left from that team. Well – these next three weeks are going to be critical for Seattle because they play the Steelers, they play the Saints, and they play the Jaguars. Those are three either subpar or average teams. So there winnable are games. some winnable games there. But then after that, they got to play the Packers. That's a loss. Then they got to play the Cardinals after that. That's a loss. And then they got to play Washington after that, which is another another winnable game. And then they play the 49ers. After that, that's might be around the time that Russell may come back is that 49ers game, possibly uh, the Texans game right after that. So, you know, we're kind of looking towards like the beginning of December when we could be seeing Russell Wilson hit the field again. But, you know, these next three games are absolutely critical for them. If they lose all three of these games, it's over. Because the Steelers are basically at 500 right now. I think they're sitting at two and three, so they're almost at 500. The Saints are up and down with Jameis, to say the least, and the Jaguars are just a dumpster fire. So they'll beat the Jaguars, but there's no... These next two games are going to be very difficult for them to win, in my opinion, just because I just don't have a lot of faith that Geno can get it done. He could show good spurts throughout the game, it's just it has to be consistent enough, and I just haven't seen that. I mean, Kevin, I don't even know when the last time he started was on a consistent basis. It was back with the the Jets, probably. But you're looking at what, like four years ago, five yeah, years ago. Yeah, because he's he's been on Seattle for a little bit now, and the stat line just showed Russell hasn't missed a start in his NFL career. So if Geno did touch the field, because Russell had to come out for a play or something like that. But like Kyle said, it's it's been quite some time since he started in an NFL game outside of being in New York. Hey, if he can evade pass rushers and he can find ways to not get sacked and get the ball to Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, possibly uh, Disley out of the tight end spot, you know, who knows? So I don't want to say like, it's you know, it's all doom and gloom for Seattle. Like, you know, this is the end of, you know, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. Like this is like, it's going to happen, but I will say this, they got to play these next three games well, because if they don't, that possibility that I kind of outlined, it may become a little bit more leaning towards reality if they just don't find win ways to win. So winning solves everything. But if they lose, yeah, it could get very dicey in Seattle moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the only time will tell, right? What are we, yeah. we going to do? You know, you can't really project too much on a quarterback that hasn't really touched the field in a while. So, hey, who knows? Well, I'm not going to say that the kid's not talented. He would not be in this league if he still sucked to no. the point where he can't be a sizable backup. I mean, we all know there are people out there that could fill this void very effectively with the offensive weapons that Seattle does have. But Geno Smith continues to make this roster for a reason. So Pete Carroll in that front office must have some faith. And, and I mean, he's gone up against formidable foes in the past. I mean, they've beaten or he's beaten Brady and Belichick. I believe like once or twice in those divisional matchups that he had against the Patriots a couple years ago. So I, I'm not going to say that he can't do it. It's just, 
it's been a very long time since we've seen him out on the field in a starting role. And it'll just be interesting to see whether or not that he could come through for them in the foreseeable future. But, you know, we could, we could talk about that segment, you know, honestly, we could probably talk about this segment for an hour in regards to Seattle, uh, but we'll move on to the last topic of discussion for the episode. And that will be the Indianapolis Colts going up against the Baltimore Ravens this week. So currently with these two teams, the Indianapolis Colts are sitting at one and three, and the Baltimore Ravens are sitting at three and one. So, Kevin, we got a pretty solid Monday night matchup between these two teams in the Colts and the Ravens. How do you see this one playing out between both teams? How does one have confidence in their team, but at the same time understands that winning just does not seem to be in the cards? Guys, I'm wearing my Colts shirt. I love this team with my entire soul and my being. But with the injuries we've been combating lately, the play calling that Frank Reich has been showing to be relatively inconsistent and how we're managing our running back situation just does not seem to bode well. Um, obviously, we all know the key to winning this game is keeping the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hand. But if you're going to put the ball in our quarterback's hand, who is injury prone, who has already been injured in this season several times, and that also includes the injury prior to the season even starting. Um, I'm not necessarily excited. I'm not really looking forward to this game. Obviously, our all-pro fucking best player on the entire team, and Quentin Nelson, is out for about another week or two. Um, our Pro Bowl right tackle in Braden Smith has been out for four straight games, and he has been ruled out for this game as well. I mean, the injuries literally just continue to pile up from, from head to toe. I mean, Naeem Hines was limited in practice this week. Darius Leonard, uh, Kari Willis. Eric Fisher, Jack Doyle, I mean, Rocky Asin is out. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a shit show. The injury report has been literally an average of five to ten people pretty much since week one, and Carson's been on every single one of them. So, again, I'm not really looking forward. Uh, our top draft pick in Pay is also out with a hamstring injury who has been battling that injury for the last three weeks. So, again, it not, not necessarily looking really good. And we all know that we need a healthy batch of people, a healthy group of people to play against this high-powered Baltimore offense. We all know what Lamar Jackson brings to the field in terms of being able to extend plays with his legs, but at the same time, he has been able to dice up some defenses that are not preparing for his ability to throw the ball, in which the last time we played them, which was last season, um, Lamar kind of lit us up low-key. I mean, he had two turnovers early, but he was able to kind of compose himself and win the game. Granted, questionable calls that ended up winning that game and gave them the win or that result, but neither here nor there. We shall see what happens in terms of how the game is going to progress. In my opinion, for us to win, first and foremost, we got to run the football. Jonathan Taylor has got to have the ball at least 20 to 30 times. We need to stop doing this. Every series, another running back gets it. I mean, last week it was one drive. It was uh, Jonathan Taylor. The next drive was Marlon Mack. The next drive was a mixture of Jordan Wilkins and Naeem Hines. It was absolutely stupid. You have a workhorse. Give it to goddamn Jonathan Taylor every fucking down if, if, if you have to. I mean, this offensive line still has good players on it. You need to be able to move the line of scrimmage. You need to be able to create play action for fucking Carson Wentz. Carson's been hit arguably, or statistically should I say, probably the most in the NFL thus season. Oh, this season. And it's funny because we brought him over because we had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And he's literally been hit almost as many times as he was hit 
at this point last season in Philadelphia. So Carson's getting PTSD at this point because he's like, yo, I came here to not get hit and I'm getting beat the fuck up. So absolutely frustrating that Frank hasn't really given him the opportunity to play better. I mean, we're doing what we can in the receiving core. Michael Pittman Jr. has been playing great. Obviously, T.Y. Hilton is out. So we're making do with what we have. But overall, if I had to make some form of a prediction, I say Baltimore wins this game probably between 7 to 10 points just because I feel like we're not going to be able to get to Lamar. And if we do, he's going to find a way to escape. And or on the offensive side of the ball, I just don't have faith in Frank Reich's play calling. One drive, we want to run the ball four straight times in a row. The next drive, we don't throw it at all. So, I mean, run it at all. So, I, 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 I have to admit, I can't blame Carson. Uh, I've not one point this season, I've been telling Kyle every week, when everybody wanted his head after that week one loss, I mean, come on. Like, the man did everything he needed to do. He was sacked almost five times. He was hit about almost ten. So, you're, you're really looking at it like, yes, the quarterback's not putting up exponential numbers. But when you're constantly having to get up, it's not exactly the easiest game to play. So, again, I want to say we're going to win. To do that is a tall task. We're also not home, so it's going to be really, really hard. And, um, yeah, no, I, I'm standing by my prediction, man. I think Baltimore wins by about a touchdown, if not 10. Yeah, I really can't find another way to come at this as, for this Monday night matchup. I, I really don't. I tried to look at it. I guess in a positive fashion for the Colts, but I just really can't find it. And to me, it's really going to be dependent on who wins the battle at the line of scrimmage. And with the amount of injuries that Indianapolis has had at the offensive line so far this year, and the fact that Carson has just been getting lit up back there on a consistent basis, I think it's going to be more of the same. And it's kind of indicative of what, the main issue has been for the Colts offensively the last couple of years is that, you know, they have a decent quarterback to work with, or they had a great quarterback to work with, with Andrew Luck, but they can't find ways to protect him for a long period of time. And until they're able to correct that issue, I don't think the Colts are going to be able to go that far as far as being the best team in the AFC South. And that's why I'm taking Baltimore in this game. Baltimore has been the more consistent team this year than the Colts have been. Baltimore has shown me that they have a very consistent run game to go along with Lamar Jackson as well. Now, granted, you know, Lamar will get his touches. Lamar will be able to extend plays with his feet and make some magic happen. He has the tendency to do that on a consistent basis. But the one thing that's really kind of stood out to me the last couple of weeks is that Baltimore's defense has really stepped up. Now, granted, they haven't played top-tier talent in the last two weeks. They played the Lions in week three, they played the Broncos in week four, but they held both those teams respectively to 17 and seven points. So the defense is making plays and they are making life for that Baltimore offense a little bit easier than what it was earlier in the season when they were giving up 30 plus to the Raiders and the Chiefs. So when I combine those factors going into this matchup, I think the Ravens are going to be able to score fairly easily against this Colts defense. The Colts defense is shaky, to say the least. They have good performances here and there, but it's not on a consistent level. You know, They had a good performance last week that got them their first win, but before that, you know, it was Derrick Henry lighting them up, or it was just opposing offenses that they, they were going up against, and they just couldn't find ways to slow them down. So, I think the best way that 
the Colts can probably try to win this game is just trying to contain Lamar Jackson. But I don't really see that being the case. I think Lamar pops off in, in this game. I, the Ravens potentially score 30 points here. I don't know how many points the Colts are going to score. If I had to kind of throw a number out there, I think somewhere maybe around like 17 points is the number that I have in my head. But I, I do think that Baltimore could win this one by at least 10 points, if not two touchdowns. It's just I have a lot more faith in what the Ravens have been doing this season. And until the Colts kind of get past these injuries and they get more healthy as a team, I just don't think it's going to happen for them. Not anytime soon, but I think the Ravens roll through this one and they end up 4-1 uh, and one, um, when it's all said and done for week five. Again, I'm not shitting on my team. I'm not sitting here trying to be negative Nally and Nancy, whatever the damn saying is. When you watch the Colts as religiously as I do, and you can kind of see the trend in which games are going. I mean, I know that I always kind of think on the negative side as games start to progress in a bad way. But you can tell when Frank is on his A game. You can tell when the play calling is on point. You can also tell when the offensive line is getting movement at the line of scrimmage. And when neither of those things happen, it never bodes well for this team. Whether or not it, whether it's Andrew Luck, whether it was Peyton Manning, or, or whoever was under center, if you're not protecting the quarterback and you're not making the right plays with the right personnel, you're never going to win a football game. And that goes for any team in the NFL. So when Frank is consistently trying to be cute, and I, I just continuously think of that week two matchup against that the Rams that was winnable, where we had a shovel pass to Jack Doyle, who's 6'4", 220 pounds at the one-yard line. Punch it in with Jonathan Taylor. That gave me New England, Seattle vibes to a whole nother degree. And it's just, you're trying to be too fancy. You have a power, young, hungry back. Give him the football. There's no reason to do the end arounds to Doolin. There's no reason to try to have all of the men, these men in motion. Listen, you have a freaking 6'4 wide receiver in Michael Pittman Jr. who's averaging, I think, about 11 targets in the last three weeks, like per game and you're not able to get him the football consistently. Jonathan Taylor had his first 100-yard game of the year last week. First. He's coming off of a rookie of the year campaign in the second half of the season, having 1,168 total y- uh, 1,168 rushing yards last year. Why the fuck does he not have damn near 400 yards rushing already? There's no reason. We have been down in a lot of these games, yes, but we have been able to bring it back to where we can run the ball and create the play action. But no. Frank wants to get fancy. There's no reason why Marlon Mack should be even on the field. Listen, Hines is healthy, or was healthy at the time. Um, Jordy Wilkins was healthy, and Marlon Mack was on the trading block. Why are you giving him series? A touch or two maybe for, for, for breath, a special teams reps or two, yeah, but my God, you take Jonathan Taylor out of the game after he just had 38 yards in the last series. What the fuck are you putting in Marlon Mack for? The decision-making makes no sense. The play calling makes no sense. The personnel scheme on certain settings don't make any sense. Frank needs to get the play calling ability taken away from him and given to somebody else that just understands the offense better, quite frankly. And I really do think if we can control the line of scrimmage to move that pile, get Jonathan Taylor those touches, drain that clock so Lamar has less time to make a decisive decision, and get Carson in a rhythm early, we can win football games. But that's a formula for any team to win a football game. So I'm not really freaking breaking nuclear science here. It's just common sense. And at this point, in week five of the season, if I need to break it down to basic peewee football terms because we're not doing it on a week-in and week-out basis, 
I think we have a problem. And Frank Reich just got an extension into 2026. I don't know why. But for whatever reason, Chris Ballard and fucking Jim Ursay love it. So that's why I got Lamar beating us because I don't see Frank being able to coach his way out of a paper bag because every week he's getting out coached by the opposite side of the field. He had Brian Flores last week. The Miami Dolphins don't exactly have the greatest offense nor the greatest defense in the world. So I'm not going to put too much into our victory. But if it took them to do what they did late in the third quarter, early into the fourth quarter, in which our defense gave up 14 fucking points in the last half of the fourth quarter, I don't have faith in an all-pro former MVP, fastest quarterback in the NFL in his home stadium. I just, I just don't see it being a good formula for, for a win. Are you fearful that Lamar's going to carve you guys up? Or he's yeah. going to just dice you guys up? Yeah, Kari Willis is hurt. Uh, Darius Leonard has been battling the same ankle injury. Quiddy Pay is out. We've been barely able to get any pressure on quarterbacks as it is. So what, what, Rocky Sin's hurt on the opposite side. That's our second best corner. I don't even know if TJ Carey's playing, who was out last week also. So it's like well, you literally have a majority of backup pers- personnel on the defensive side of the ball. And outside of DeForest Buckner, who gets doubled on almost every single snap, what are you going to do? I feel like Lamar is either going to extend plays with his legs like we both said, or there's going to be designated RPOs where he's pulling the ball, running for 30, 40 yards. I just, again, I don't see us doing much because I don't see that we have the personnel to guard them. And I mean, he could hit it big with Hollywood Brown too. So he has been showing me some flashes of where he can really extend not only the field with his legs, but he could really stretch that ball down the field as well. He has been able to hit that home run ball every now and then with Hollywood Brown. So, and I know you're talking and, about that play from last week on, on in, against Denver where he literally threw him open. It was a 45-yard dime, and Hollywood had to lay money. out for it. It was on the money. But, and that's against Justin Simmons, an all-pro safety, mind you. We don't have any of that on our side. So, Yeah, but I, I do think that like when you look at Indianapolis's defense, they're going to have to play up, though, just because you're, you're so fearful of what they're going to present as far as their RPO options that you have to kind of be ready for that. But the problem is, is that they can run play action with that. And you got somebody going deep, you know, and the safeties are creeping up because they're fearful of the run. That's where they can hit you deep with that home run ball. And, you know, Baltimore does have a target that they could really take the top off of a defense. And if Lamar's just accurate with his passes, he could hit you guys deep. So if a, if I'm Matt Eberflus in which obviously I'm not, and nor do I have the ability to freaking get in touch with them, which he wouldn't listen to me anyway. I'm banking on the run the entire game. They live and die by the run. I am going to make Lamar beat me with his arm. Can he do it? Absolutely. Does he have the capability? Yes. The skill set, the arm strength, and the accuracy in which he has improved? Absolutely. But I, okay, will we be ahead. able to stop it? I, 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 I fucking final. Because I, I, I think the way that Baltimore is looking at this game, if they don't get 150 to 200 yards rushing in this game, they're going to be disappointed. You know, that's their bread and butter. But... I think their their point of emphasis is going to be run the football down Indianapolis's throat, and they're going to get Lamar some opportunities to hit some big plays deep with his arm. But by and large, I think it's going to be run the ball and just basically wear down Indianapolis's defense. And up until this point, it's been an effective strategy. And like, like, let's be honest, though, you know, with Lamar 
being one of the most dynamic quarterbacks, one of the most athletic quarterbacks that we've seen. It really doesn't even matter who they have at the running back spot. I mean, Lamar Jackson could go out there and get 100 yards rushing. And, you know, he'll get more than enough touches to possibly make that happen. But it's just there's so many options that you have to consider with Indianapolis's defense as far as their run game goes. It's going to be tough with the amount of injuries that you guys have, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but on the offensive side of the ball as well. That's going to be a tough situation for Indianapolis to go to in this game. And I just don't know how viable you guys are going to be. I, I think you guys maybe put up 17, maybe 20 points, but I think Baltimore could put up 30 on you guys. If you guys keep it close, you know, I think you guys will be all right, but I, I just think that Baltimore is just too explosive with Lamar. It's going to be a tall task. And, you know, me and my dad are going to watch the game together. It's probably our, I think it's our, yeah, it's our first game we've watched all season together because he has red zone and I don't have cable. So it's like, I want to watch the Colts game and it's, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And it's full, whatever. Uh, I wouldn't say entirety, but like you like. Yeah, you, that, you know what I'm saying? In, in its entirety. I want to watch the whole game without any interruptions for another game. Oh, you know, I don't okay. have Sunday ticket or anything. So I stream the game. But uh, yeah, so we will see what happens. Um, guys, update on the Kansas City game. It has resumed. Uh, Buffalo just got a pick six on Patrick Mahomes. It is now 31 to 13. For the majority of this quarter thus far, it has literally been three and out after three and out after three and out. So this is the first time the ball has moved for the opposing side. Um, and it is looking pretty bleak in Arrowhead right now. Can if, Patrick Mahomes if, and the crew come back? Yes. Not if you're Buffalo. But, Buffalo is rolling right now. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, this 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 kid freaking Donovan Knox, Dev, Devin Knox. Yeah. What's his name? It's I, I forget his first name. I know his name is Knox, the tight end. For oh, Buffalo. Dawson he's, Knox. Dawson Knox. Yeah, uh, he's, he's got been, 117 yards on fucking three catches. So he is wide open. Absolutely he's ridiculous. Their, he's their big man target. I mean, he Josh Allen hit him on the rail on the sideline uh, at the end of the first half with like a minute to go. I mean, they've just been they've been amazing this game. I mean, I mean, up until this point, you know, it's 31 to 13, and you know, coming into this game, we both. We both picked Casey to win this game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we and, did. You know, I thought it was going to be Josh Allen making the mistakes in this game, simply just because you're going into a hostile environment at at Arrowhead. But man, it looks like Pat's just off this game. And honestly, yeah, like a lot of the passes that I've seen from Mahomes, he's just kind of throwing them in the dirt, just because Buffalo's defense is playing pretty well. You They're know, keening is, on the pass, bro. They're playing it very smart. And, and it's a far cry from what took place in the AFC Championship game last year. I mean, Buffalo's made some very good adjustments. And when it comes to KC, this is kind of the one thing that kind of really surprised me about like their run schemes, or not their run schemes, their their pattern schemes as far as like running routes. KC will like live and die by these long extended routes that take a couple seconds to develop. And there's always that deep threat option with Tyreek Hill and even Travis Kelsey to a certain extent when they get him going on a deep route, but they gotta be, they gotta find a way to really kind of shorten these routes to just get Pat some easy, like slant routes, you know, some maybe like some five, 10 yard hitters instead of hitting these intermediate to, to long distance passes where you're getting these huge chunk plays. Sometimes it's almost better to kind of cut up a defense by like a thousand cuts instead of getting this one big gash from this like 70 yard bomb that he's capable of. It's just, 
it's it's one thing that I've seen from Casey's offense that's just kind of it, it doesn't bother me. It just it kind of perplexes me. Like that's that and, excuse me, that's that Andy Reid offense for you, man. I, he I, likes I, that I that complexity. He loves it. I know, but it kind of backfires if the defense you're going up against has a great secondary, and Buffalo has a great secondary. I believe they have. 13 turnovers this season already. I think that's actually leads the NFL leads the NFL. Yeah. I think they broke a tie with the Cowboys with that pick six. Yep. So I mean, granted there still is some time left in this game between Buffalo and KC, but I think Buffalo is going to get this one. That's a huge road win for them. You yeah. Know, to me, in Arrowhead is it's massive. I, I mean, to me, like really kind of when I look at the, the landscape of the AFC, it's really the Chargers and the Buffalo Bills right now. Like those are the two teams that I, I see at the top of the list. The AFC is, is weak this season. It's yeah. all and teams at the power rankings. We just named five of them that are four and one or better. I know. I think when I did the power rankings last week, I had the Cardinals at number one, the Packers at number two, I had the Rams at number three. Oh, I, I had the Bills at number four. They were the one AFC team I had in the top five. And then I had the Bucks at five. So I mean, four out of the five teams in the in my power rankings last week, they were NFC teams. And then the Cowboys were at sixth. So I mean, the NFC they are just loaded this year. And it was kind of like we mentioned, you know, before the season started. It really did kind of seem like Buffalo and KC are those two teams, you know, that would be at the end. Buffalo's definitely living up to that expectation. But in week five, Casey's looking at a two and three record. No one would have saw that coming. Not and, and, I, and I don't think that I don't think any of us were thinking that the Chargers were going to potentially be at the top of the AFC West, sitting at four, sitting at four and one, and looking as impressive as they have so far. I mean, Justin Herbert, with the way that he's been playing the last couple of weeks, you can honestly say that he's probably has an outside shot at being an MVP candidate right now. I, I wouldn't say of, it's, I wouldn't say it's that outside, honestly. No, I mean Kyler's up there. Kyler I mean, hasn't been scoring, though, the last two weeks. Kyler had two touchdowns last week, one this week. Justin Herbert has eight. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes has 15 touchdowns on the year. So does Brady. So Justin got to be right behind him because he's thrown three-plus touchdowns, I think, in three straight games. Yeah, I know he threw three against the Raiders uh, on that Monday night matchup. And then he followed it up with a four-touchdown game in – in this in the matchup against the um, who the hell they play today the Browns, and I believe he threw four touchdowns against the Chiefs. So he's definitely lighting it up this year, and I think Chief. at this point, I mean at this point, I mean bro, like it's ice in his veins, bro. He's going off. Kid is popping, man. Kid is absolutely popping. But guys, that's gonna wrap it up for us tonight. Um, obviously, we have some more content coming at the end of the week or throughout this week. But we are 226 subscribers up to this point today. It's looking good. Numbers are still consistent. So, again, as always, we appreciate it. If you guys like and love the content, like the video, subscribe to the channel, turn on that notification bell. We are available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Anchor. We are just we are everywhere at all times. So, again, if you can show us some love at any platform, any of those, we would really, really appreciate it. And, um yeah, man, it's been great. The, the The consistency from the numbers really show because obviously when Kyle is posting consistent content, obviously when I'm not around, it is just phenomenal because it just helps our overall statistics just kind of stay leveled and increasing. So as always, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Oh, yeah.
and you know just to basically reiterate what what kevin said just we appreciate the support that you guys have given so far you know whether it's been on the streaming platforms whether it's been on youtube it goes without saying just we appreciate you guys just tuning in to listen kevin and us just do what we've always done just talk about sports and what we will continue to do so so i just hopefully you guys enjoy the content that we put out uh week in and week out and um we'll just kind of go from there you know week five was fantastic kevin i imagine week six will be just as fantastic as week five was um that's pretty much all i got you got anything else before we wrap this up more than likely we'll be talking a little bit more baseball we wanted to kind of let the divisional series kind of pan out we understand that the red sox are up to one we know that the dodgers and the giants are tied at one apiece so come thursday if not wednesday we'll we'll dissect some of those series as more than likely one or two of them or a couple of them will end uh within the next couple of days the nba is a little bit under two weeks of starting up which is phenomenal for us so i mean like like we said over the last couple of weeks content is just going to keep flowing we're going to get more stuff coming out there we're going to get more episodes we're going to get more content and segments so just keep 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 uh keep tuned in guys because me and kyle are locked in for this season coming up and it's it's going to be a good one. Oh yeah but like, like we said already you guys you know thank you guys for tuning in to either listen or watch the episode and we will see you guys later this week Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. One, two,